The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. Hello and welcome to What Catholics Believe. I'm your host, Thomas Nagley, and with me tonight is Father William Jenkins. He's from the Society of St. Pius V. He's also the pastor of Immaculate Conception Church in Norwood, Ohio. Hello, Father. How are you? Fine. Thank you, Jennifer. Good evening to you. Thank you, Father. Good to see you again. You too. Father, so much has happened since we last got together in regards to this uh, this growing crisis and scandal that's been ongoing in the Novus Ordo Church. And your commentary on the matter has been particularly well-received. In fact, one of our uh, recent programs has become one of the most-watched videos on uh, our entire channel. So, uh, Father, it seems important to continue to update on this matter, on the, this scandal and crisis that's been, that's, that's been ongoing. And just to kind of give a quick snapshot of where we are now, since uh, the publication of Archbishop Vigano's 11-page letter uh, claiming that Francis knew of Cardinal Theodore McCarrick and his immoral actions and, in fact, covered for him for a matter of years. There has been uh, an attempted uh, character assassination of Archbishop Vigano. Mm -hmm. And I believe just today he came out and said that he is not going to spend any more time refuting the accusations against himself, but rather instead he wants the press to focus on the contents of his letter, the claims that he has made against Francis. He would like for the media, the press, to investigate those claims that he has made. And uh, in the face of all this, Father Francis's reply has uh, been one of silence. And in fact, he just recently said, in, uh, in the face of all these accusations, the attitude should be one of silence. Mm. And uh, he refused to comment on this, like you've, like you've mentioned before. And in fact, uh, it seems almost uh, like a slap in the face with one of his recent uh, comments where he came out and said that there is an emergency, in fact, but the emergency is the amount of plastic in the ocean, the amount mm -hmm. of litter in the ocean. And we need to work like our lives depend on it to clean mm -hmm. up this mess. Mm -hmm. So it seems, Father, that uh, that Francis and his Novus Ordo Church, their attitude to this whole matter will continually be one of silence and just a complete and utter refusal to even acknowledge it. So what's your, mm -hmm. what's your take on all this, Father, where we stand now? Well, I, I think the, the hope of the Vatican... And by that I mean Francis and those associated with him, uh, is that, that the press will focus this uh, this whole thing on uh, Archbishop Vigano himself and make the issue Archbishop Vigano. It's about him. Everything is about him and uh, his problems, his faults, uh, everything they can dig up, every bit of of uh, it, well, they'll, they'll smear him. They, they 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 are just going to try to smear this man. And he knew that it was going to happen. He was prepared for that. And uh, I guess he kind of accepted it ahead of time, that this is what was going to happen to him. I mean, physically, he got himself out of their control by going into hiding. But uh, now it's, it's a, they're having a field day on his reputation. And uh, stopping at nothing to dig up anything they can find. I'm surprised they haven't interviewed his kindergarten teacher, his first grade teacher, to find out, you know, some whatever they could about him. But anyway, um, they want to make him the issue and um, make people who don't think very deeply, you know, uh, make people follow that as though that really was the substance of all of this. And it actually has nothing to do with it. It's a matter of whether his accusations of Francis are true or not. And uh, the strange thing is that uh, Archbishop Vigano, even from his exile, continually has said uh, to the press, go find the dossiers, get the dossiers from the Vatican, find out what it was that was in the dossier that, I think there were two of them, I'm not mistaken, could be wrong. Anyway, the point is that Benedict gave these over to Francis. And uh, there you have the written evidence of what was had been reported to the Vatican for years about the immoral activities of predatory priests, bishops, and cardinals going back dozens of years or do even uh, several uh, decades or more. It's all documented there, he says. And um, this goes beyond Vigano's personal report. 
Um, there you have the evidence right there, hard, cold evidence. And you don't find them doing that. That's the one place you'd think they'd be going for the documentary evidence written by actual churchlings, I mean, uh, church um, uh, authorities who are writing and reporting to the Vatican what's going on all this time. And um, while at the same time, by the way, they're denying it to the authorities back here in the States, the civil authorities, and trying to cover it over. <clears throat> so whatever they were trying to cover over is actually documented to the Vatican. And uh, that's the one thing they will not do, which is a pretty good indication that uh, they're not interested in, in the truth of the matter. They're interested in protecting their man, Francis, because he's a modernist. And uh, his entire social program is theirs, and they don't want to put that into jeopardy. So while they're crying out <clears throat> against these predatory priests, they're going to be protecting them at the same time, which, you know, as far as I'm concerned, makes them a bunch of scoundrels and hypocrites. But they've been around a long time, you know. I mean, you read the gospel, you find out that uh, hypocrisy's been with us from the beginning. We're watching it in action now, and especially uh, in the press. Father, there's been some commentators that have, have made this point, you know, as, as liberal and as modernist as, as Benedict was, mm -hmm. he was uh, at least perceived as somewhat of, of a conservative. Mm -hmm. And so there was... Uh, just because of that perception, there was almost a, a media bias against him. And there have been several who have, have remarked that, uh, you know, if if all of this had happened when Benedict was uh, was in office, that it would have been totally different. The, the media coverage would have been totally different. They would have been ready and willing to yeah. attack him on this matter. But because... Well, as a matter of fact, Tom, I mean, that's a very good point. Uh, and it did happen during Benedict. Mm -hmm. And it, it brought him down. Remember that? Uh, the VatiLeaks controversy, right? And what is really ironic about all that is, well, the role of two men in VatiLeaks, whom we have mentioned here recently. One of them was the head of the Vatican Bank, Ettore Gotti Tedeschi. I mean, we did a couple of programs talking about his his uh, report on what's going on in the Vatican, and that the head of the church that he's talking about now in the Vatican, we know who that is, is actually ushering in um, what, what uh, Tedeschi is calling Gnostic environmentalism as a new world religion. Well, this man was the head of the Vatican Bank. And uh, in the course of the VatiLeaks uh, revelations, Benedict fired him. And, um, but also, also a central operative in the VatiLeaks business going on in the, the year 2012 was Archbishop Vigano. He was also very much involved because he was exposing the corruption going on in the Vatican Bank and the Vatican Works and the expenditures that were going on and maintaining the Vatican property and, and so on. And so these two men actually were central to the VatiLeaks uh, revelations, right? That wound up with uh, Benedict resigning. And part of that was the sexual scandal too. It was all part of it. In fact, there are those today who say with, with pretty good reason that Benedict was actually threatened. They wanted Benedict out of there so much that he was threatened with exposure for his involvement in this, the sexual uh, thing. Now, whether he was personally involved in the crimes, I, I don't know. There are those who say he was personally involved in the cover-up of these things. And that this, allegedly, is what actually prompted him to resign. <clears throat> and the odd thing is, now, <clears throat> that um, Archbishop Vigano and uh, Ettore Gotti-Tedeschi, two men who were more on the conservative side of the Novus Ordo, let's face it, I mean, Benedict was the most conservative modernist they have to point to, you know, uh, that they paved the way for the choosing of Francis, which is probably something that they would both be horrified at. And they, they obviously, uh, well, I don't know, if Ettore Gotti-Tedeschi looks upon what he's revealing now as a form of reparation for what he's done, bringing Francis in, 
Well, I don't know if Archbishop Vigano is thinking in terms, oh my goodness, what have I done? You know, in revealing the corruption that was going on in the Vatican under Benedict, I actually paved the way for Benedict's resignation and the election of, of Bergoglio. <clears throat> but it seems that both of these men were very much involved in, in bringing Benedict to the point of resignation and opening the door for Bergoglio to be elected. <clears throat> you know, and, and here we have the St. Gallen group that have been plotting for, for decades, literally decades, to elect someone like Bergoglio. When, when uh, Ratzinger was elected, uh, they, were, they were really disappointed. They were crushed that <clears throat> they didn't get there. They, they wanted someone more radical. They wanted the most radical liberal they could get in there. And, uh, and uh, uh, Ratzinger, who became Benedict XVI, did not meet their criterion as the most liberal and radical liberal. And so they really saw that as a setback, and they were determined to get rid of him. And perhaps ultimately using that threat of exposure for his involvement, somehow, even in just co in covering up these, these crimes, was what it took to get him to step down. Oddly enough now, that the St. Gallen group of the, these prelates, uh, cardinals, archbishops, bishops, have been plotting for decades to get a radical modernist liberal in there and finally succeeded in getting, getting Francis in there. Now the charge has come up from who, who? Actually, Archbishop Vigado about his involvement in this, but he will not resign. He will not give in. He will not even say one word. They're going to protect him unto death, though, because they got the man they wanted. But all of this, this, this group, this, 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 uh, uh, we call it a cabal, and it is, it is a cabal, it's a cadre of uh, the most radical modernists in the, in the Novus Ordo Church here, um, are following through on their pact of the catacombs, right, that they're going to apply Vatican II in the most revolutionary way. And so uh, I realize that a number of our, re our listeners, our watchers here, might not know what I'm talking about, what I mentioned, the Pact of the Catacombs, and I mentioned the St. Gallen group. But the, this is all public knowledge now. Uh, George Niemeyer, right, or Neumeyer, in his uh, book, The Political Pope, has exposed a great deal of this. And there are a number of other writers who have exposed this to the point where they're actually taking credit now, publicly taking credit for the election of Francis, saying, we have triumphed, you know. Um, so they don't even see the need for secrecy anymore. Uh, even the Pact of the Catacombs is now public knowledge. They see no need to cover this up anymore. Um, so someone pointed out recently, a, a rather wise individual we know, that uh, Francis might have seen Archbishop Vigano as an ally of his, in a way, as a compatriot, as a compadre, because he must have seen that Benedict's resignation and his, Francis's election, really was due in no small part to the Vatilis controversy that was ignited in part by, and to, actually a large part, by Archbishop Vigano and exposing the corruption that was going on under Benedict. And uh, lo and behold, he finds out that uh, Archbishop Vigano, who was already Apostolic Nuncio to the United States when he, Francis, was chosen, that he was no ally of his. You know, there are those who want us to believe that, um, you know, the, the, this enmity between Archbishop Vigano and Francis goes back, you know, so, long, long time. But I don't know what evidence there is of that. Rather, whatever evidence there is, but seem to indicate that Francis really trusted uh, Vigano to be a, a more of a supporter than, a, than an, uh, an adversary. Um, and that what really made Francis realize that Archbishop Vigano was not a supporter of Francis was what happened to Kim Davis right here, right here uh, in Kentucky, right? Just south of the, you know, the Ohio River here. And uh, LifeSite News, just published a, 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 a statement by Archbishop Vigano, given from hiding, setting the record straight on really what happened with Kim Davis, the whole Kim Davis story. Mm -hmm. 
And now, um, I mean, I, I assume our, our viewers have seen previous programs in the last couple of weeks where we talked about this, Kim Davis being the uh, clerk, of course, in one of the counties in Kentucky, and she would not sign off on the, uh, the homosexual marriage certificates mm -hmm. or uh, licenses, I should say. <clears throat> and so she was actually jailed by a so-called Catholic judge, of course. But literally thousands of people besieged the jail. And so the deal was made that uh, her second-in-command in the, the, the clerk's office, the county clerk's office, would sign the documents for her, and she wouldn't be signing them. And she was actually going to be given an award by, it was some pro-life uh, group and uh, pro-family group in Washington, D.C. She was going to be there to receive that award in 2016 at the same time Francis was visiting there. And so Archbishop Vigano says he actually did contact the Vatican and he, he proposed this idea of Francis meeting privately with this woman, Kim Davis, who was persecuted for being faithful to her conscience. That was the big issue, that she was willing to, be, to suffer for her conscience and she was persecuted for standing up for the rights of conscience. This was the key here, that Francis agreed to, that Bertone, right, the Secretary of State, agreed to, and others in the Vatican agreed that this would be good to do. And so Francis did meet with this woman. And uh, the agreement was, according to uh, Archbishop Vigano, uh, that this would not be revealed until Francis had gotten back from his tour of the States and returned to Rome, okay? He'd gotten back to Rome, then it was okay to say it, and that's what happened. And that's when it, it really broke, that Francis had met with this, that with one of these reporters, a female reporter for one of the big newspapers, it characterized Kim Davis as an anti-homosexual uh, campaigner or activist. She wasn't doing anything. She just was put on the spot and required to sign these documents for homosexual marriage licenses. And she said in conscience she couldn't do it. She wasn't campaigning. She wasn't being an activist. They were demanding that she consent to this, and she couldn't do it. So, I mean, they just turn everything inside out. They have no regard for the truth of the matter at all. But anyway, the fact is that Francis, that first the Vatican denied that Francis even met with her. Then when they couldn't deny that anymore, and they were caught in the lie, they said that this was all arranged uh, behind the scenes by Archbishop Vigano. And then when they couldn't deny that anymore, and they had to admit that, no, they, they agreed to it, their argument was, well, Francis, well, uh, Vigano did not really tell them everything they needed to know. And that uh, Vigano must have known that this would be very controversial and cause problems, and he didn't inform them of that fact. And uh, the same day, Francis met with two homosexuals, one of whom had been a student of his, I understand, and they were planning on getting married. That's the news that they wanted. That's the news they wanted coming out, that Francis was very homosexual friendly. Not that he was meeting with this woman who didn't want them to get married, okay? They wanted to spike that news. But also, one of the reasons, by the way, they gave <laughs> that Archbishop Vigano had somehow deceived them that he hadn't supposedly told them that Kim Davis had been married four times, okay? Now, I had to laugh when I read that one, because I thought that I would have thought that Francis would say, oh, yeah, I've got to meet that lady, because this is exactly what I'm getting at in my, in my uh, you know, Maurice Leticia there, right? That, well, let's give her Holy Communion, by all means, right? Well, but they don't tell you that when she converted to being a Christian of some species, probably charismatic Christian, uh, that she went back to, I guess, her second husband. I don't know what happened to the first one. But she left number two, number three, and number four. And she accepted some sort of consequences for that uh, in conscience, okay? But I couldn't imagine that. That wouldn't have stopped Francis from... <laughs> then he would have wanted all kinds of... Uh, uh, you know, photo ops yeah. with, with the lady because she's been married four times and look now she's, everything's just hunky-dory now. If it hadn't been for the little problem that she couldn't consent to homosexual marriage, which is the one thing that Francis did not want to be associated with. So uh, again, you know, 
uh, Archbishop Vigano was making this known from his hideout, wherever he is. So, um, uh, uh, the, the problem just grows and grows and grows. And Francis announces during the Angelus there that we have to be silent and silence and prayer, silence mm -hmm. and prayer. Maybe he had to tell his, his buddies over there. You know, every time they open their mouth, they put their Episcopal feet in their mouths. And um, they need to stop doing that. You know, the buskins go right in the mouth after they're wearing them. So um, I wouldn't be surprised that he enjoins everyone to silence at this point. Just says, look, let the, let the hounds from the press mm -hmm. yeah. take care of Vigano. Okay, we'll move on. And in the course of time, some other great, great news event will happen. And this will be forgotten. And we'll just continue on our merry way. That's what happened last time this all came out. So I wouldn't be surprised that he thinks that's exactly what's going to happen next. Now, Francis may well resign. He has already floated that balloon in the past, that he might resign the way Benedict did, because after all, one should not be Pope for life. It's like being the head of a group. And when you find that you've kind of served your purpose, then you move on. And uh, Francis's whole idea of the Catholic papacy is totally foreign. He doesn't even believe in the papacy as, as we know it, as Catholics. Um, and, and so he's already floated the idea of a, a papacy from which people kind of regularly resign when they kind of get worn out, <clears throat> pass the baton to somebody else. And uh, so he might do so, but he's made it very clear. He will not resign until he's good and ready. He'll resign only on his own terms. He won't be forced out by anybody. And it will only be when they have somebody chosen and groomed to succeed him. Right. Now, they've got somebody in, 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 the, uh, in the batter's box, as it, are, as it is, to step up to the plate for him and take over for him. And uh, this, this whole thing, uh, again, just brings us back to the fundamental point that this is the, the result of modernism. Uh, that the modernists have brought this from Vatican II all the way to the present time. And as long as they remain in power, and people keep looking to them as though they, they are the Church, they represent the Catholic Church, people are going to be um, continually sold a bill of goods by the modernists, and they're going to be getting in one trouble after another because their moral principles are the modernist moral principles. And they are, they're, they're perverted from the very beginning. And, you know, Father, you mentioned uh, Francis's silence on this whole matter. It seems that's been a, a very successful approach so far. Archbishop Vigano came out and, and said, you know, I would like the press to actually do their job to investigate these claims that I've made. But they haven't done that so far in the weeks that, that his letter has been published. So uh, one, one has to wonder what, what would make them. You know, on the plane back from Dublin to, the, to Rome, right? Francis tells the press, I won't say one word, you take it from here. <laughs> now, uh, Archbishop Vigano, from his hideout, is saying, I want the press to do their job. I want the press to. <laughs> so they're both saying, you ladies and gentlemen of the press, please do, do something. Okay. Mm -hmm. Francis is basically saying to them, although I, I get very few people are saying, are interpreting his words this way, but I certainly did, and I'm not the only one now. Francis was saying to the press, go savage um, Vigano's reputation. That's your job. And Vigano is saying, not go savage Francis' reputation, go find the truth. Mm -hmm. The truth is there. They have it in their hands. They're, 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 they're sequestering it away and keeping it away from everyone. You go get it. You find it. Right, and they haven't done that thus far, and uh, there's no indication that they will do that. And so it's... Uh... It seems that, that they're... They, uh, they want to conceal it as much as Francis does. Right. It seems that Francis' approach of, of silence is... Uh, you know, he knows who his friends are. Mm -hmm. and, and he knows that as long as he's silent, they, they, they can... Well, he, he need not fear. You know, Father, it seems that the only, uh, the only outcome... God. Hopefully. The only outcome of all this is uh, just a greater crisis within the Novus mm -hmm. Ordo Church. And, and we've, we've seen evidence of that uh, ourselves here. We, we've... Uh, just recently, since all, all this has been happening, we, we received a great increase in the volume of emails that we've received, and um, just from, from various faithful, traditional, and, and Novus Ordo-minded people as alike, of um, 
just just struggling with this whole this whole everything that's been happening. Well, I've noticed that the, the one program is now right even now well over thirty thousand views in the week, right. which for our little enterprise here is right, quite remarkable. Yes, you right. definitely. Uh, you think about the shoestring, you know, basically our studios, I think with a table, two chairs, and uh, some very a statue and a crucifix and a cur curtain. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and a little bit of uh, equipment. And um, I, I'm actually not only, um, you know, honored that so many people have deemed it worthwhile to watch our program, but it's very humbling and it's a little bit, uh, you know, it makes you realize the serious responsibility, the responsibility you have Definitely. And, and in terms of the faith, in terms of the church, in terms of our Lord, you know, that you get it right. And, um, you know, I appreciate people having that confidence. That's why what we hear from people is so important. I gather you have heard some good people out there. Yes, Father. If I may, I'd like to read just a couple of these They're wonderful, wonderful emails, very kind words here. Um, this first one here is titled, Thank You for a Great Program. It says, Thanks to you and Father Jenkins for your latest program. It was just excellent, and it was not too long. I was sad when it was over. <laughs> With all the horrors going on, we needed a good, thorough dose of truth about our Catholic faith and what is required of us to remain faithful to our Lord and Our Lady during these times. Blessings to you both. Keep up the great work. Another one here. I just watched the long video on Archbishop Viano. I understood so well all the points Father Jenkins makes. And looking around, I cannot understand how blessed I have been to have the faith and have understanding, given my Protestant background. It is astonishing. I really feel for the born Novus Ordo Catholics. This one here says, I just wanted to say that I avidly watch your program and I thank you for all that you do in informing the world about the evil that is modernism. I recently found a church and I hope to be baptized in good time. Oh, days there. Okay. Well, uh, another one here. We need to pray for all these good people. Yes, definitely. Uh, this other one here, Father says, thank you for your crucial reporting at this momentous time. Our dear Father Jenkins is most certainly a wonderful representative of our Lord Jesus Christ and his Catholic Church. I don't know if I ever in my life have heard a priest speak so clearly, boldly, and articulately the truth in a world that hates and outlaws truth. I'm sure Father Jenkins knows that he is making himself a target. I'm praying for him, and I'm sure many others are as well. His courage is just so edifying. Please tell him that his work is sincerely appreciated and absolutely necessary. Also, I think his speculation about what Francis did on the plane is quite reasonable. I've never before heard anything so bizarre. It was dripping with a filthiness and a deceitfulness that is truly demonic. Father is a man of deep prayer and holiness of life. Why shouldn't he see right through the diabolical chimera? May the Holy Family give to Father Jenkins their protection, and may God grant him length of days. Very nice. Well, God has already given me length of days <laughs> and length of sermons, too. Uh, and that is very humbling. Thank you very much. I pray that someday that will all be true. And if you pray for me, uh, hopefully it will all be, all be become very, true. Very humble, Father. Thank uh, you. I, I've, I've got more here, so I'd like to go on with just a couple more of these. This one says... You're trying to embarrass me. Father, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think this is just a testament to... Uh, to, to not only yourself, but just the, the truth in general. How hard I've, I've heard this from, from multiple viewers, just how they say, no one else is, is saying the things that you're saying. No one else, there's relatively few that are even commenting on, on this, this matter at all. But those that are, are not, uh, not, not being as forceful, not saying the things that you're saying. And so I think this is really just a testament to the truth and how there are so many good people out there still who have a real love for the truth and are desperately searching for it. And I think that, that they well, found it here. Well, that's true, Tom. There are people out there that still have the faith. And they're, they're searching for those who do. Mm -hmm. yeah. For other laymen, for our priests, bishops, right? Who still don't have the faith. And there are, the, there are those. Thank Definitely. God. Definitely. Another email here, Father. This one says, Thank you so much for the short video on Pope Bergoglio's so-called non-reply on Vigano's 11-page statement, which I agree with Father Jenkins really was a reply. It was totally cagey and intended by Pope Bergoglio, and now he has the people and the press and the clerics choosing sides and bringing about chaos to cloud the whole issue, which is what he likes. He has made a mess. One of the things he urges that all do 
out of a something that is already a catastrophe, a great scandal, and for which our Lord destroyed two cities, Sodom and Gomorrah. I also do so appreciate all that Father Jenkins said in his previous video on Archbishop Vigano's revelations, namely that all we are living through is the logical consequence of modernism. How true. I, for one, would really appreciate a show on the history of modernism and how we got there, as Father mentioned that he might do. I think we need all the light we can get on the full truth about what has really been going on at the deeper level of the modernist attempted takedown of the Catholic Church. We know the Catholic faith itself will not be taken down, even though it has gone into eclipse, and many of the structures of the church are seemingly now in Satan's clutches. But that was great, Father. Uh, I know you have mentioned your uh, your desire to do a show on, on the history of modernism. And, well, the history uh, we should analyze. Mm -hmm. yeah. Because reading the encyclical Bashendi, right. um, it should be enlightening, but it requires a, a lot of background. It does. And so people come away rather confused. You know? So mm -hmm. I think it'd be good if we spend a little time explaining the significance of it in, in, in a way that becomes clear. Definitely. You know, By the way, this writer says something interesting. Francis said in Brazil, go make a mess of the church, right? I mean, that's basically what he told the young people, right? And you know what? He's presiding over a massive mess of his own making. Right now. And he's probably chortling. He's probably very happy about this. Yeah, he right got now. exactly what he wanted. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, Father, another one. This one's great here. Titled Nova Sordo Hypocrisy. Makes some great points in here. He says, I was led to believe that Nova Sordo is indeed a role model for the great mother city of lies and all that is abominable on earth. As you read the news, and I too, I could not but to reflect on an issue that at the moment passes unnoticed, most likely because it would create an earth-shattering effect to the entire Nova Sordo. But the issue follows logically. The incurable hypocrisy of a recent affair with Francis, in which he is called to resign, is that John Paul II was in a similar, if not much worse, position. Issues of the same nature were relayed to him, but he kept silent, continued promoting abusers higher up the rank, doing nothing worth mentioning to stop the disease. Then when Benedict XVI was swept away, for at least doing something rather than nothing, Francis came to canonize John Paul II. Francis canonized some abhorrent behavior, which now many all of a sudden see and condemn Francis and himself. People ask for the resignation of Francis, but at the same time they pray to a, quote, St. John Paul II, who behaved in the same manner. The falsity, the, the contradiction, the immorality, the filth of all this cries to heaven for vengeance. Nova Sordo is nothing but a rotten harlot of Babylon. The time of its fall has come. Please tell me if I'm wrong on this. What did I get tell you? Well, let's see. I, I hope that the Nova Sordo which he describes in very apt terms, is ready to fall because it is a lie. It is a grandiose lie. It is what, I mean, it is what Pope Saint Pius X defined as the complexus of this, this gathering of all heresies. It's a synthesis of all heresies. That's what he called it. And uh, the Novus Ordo is a practice of modernism. It is a religion of modernism. So I hope he's right that it is about to fall, right? Because, but if it does, it'll be because people see the light, because they see the truth, they recognize it for what it is. You know, Tom, it's amazing when you talk to people about what's going on now, I mean, the people out in the world there, even the, the, the people who are aware of it and care about it, talk as though it just happened. It just sort of came out of nowhere, you know? Because they just became aware of it, perhaps because of the, uh, you know, the, the grand jury report out of Pennsylvania. Now it's something real, whereas before it wasn't. <clears throat> to get them to understand that what happened here is now being revealed, but it's been going on for decades and decades. And it was going on during Vatican II. It's coming out of Vatican II with a vengeance. It's hitting. We just did a video on that, right, with the corruption of the Immaculate Heart of Mary sisters out in, um, in California. And um, <clears throat> I mean, these public revelations of these things have been spiked time after time again. But the corruption has been endemic throughout the history of the modernist rampage in the church since Vatican II. It even, and, and even this uh, report of the grand jury goes back 70 years with cases of this. Well, 70 years puts it in the decade before Vatican II and leading up to Vatican II. So, uh, you know, the modernists were already at work, St. Pius X said this 
back in 1907. He said the modernists are deep within the heart and veins of the church. And then he told one of his cardinals that they will come back in 50 years, we're talking about the 1950s, and start laying waste to the church. Well, this is exactly what we're witnessing now. See? So people are just getting aware of it, perhaps. But they have to realize that this is traceable back to Vatican II and what was done in Vatican II, and in the aftermath of Vatican II. And I know what they're being told. They're being told the big lie, that when the bishops came back from Vatican II, they misapplied Vatican II, <laughs> that all these things were abuses. It's not really Vatican II. It's not what Vatican II is all about. And, you know, you listen to this argument, and you wonder why anybody falls for it. But they do. You know, they talk about the abuses. Oh, the abuses of this, the abuses of that. And you realize, wait a minute. Well, let's have a little reality check here. The bishops who are back here imposing those abuses were the ones who were the bishops of Vatican II. They are Vatican II. They're the bishops who were in the, the Vatican meeting and making those decisions and voting on those documents of Vatican II. The very same men who were there voting, uh, favoring those documents of Vatican II were the ones who came back and applied Vatican II. And if you want to argue that what they applied was not really what Vatican II was all about, or if you're arguing that they really didn't understand the meaning of the documents they voted on, then that tells you that those documents are null and void. They voted on things they didn't even understand. That's not a, an ecumenical council of the church. By your own admission, you're acknowledging that that council is a myth. Because the people who passed all those documents and voted for them were voting on things that they couldn't consciously, deliberately, knowingly, intelligently vote on. Now, if they did understand what they were voting on, and they came back and applied them, and you want to say they're abuses, I would say that's nonsense. Because they came back and applied what they understood to be the, the mandate of Vatican II. All of them did, right? This renewal, if they understood what renewal was, meant by Vatican II, and that's what they put in place. Then stop calling them abuses. Stop lying and calling them abuses. They're not abuses. That's exactly what Vatican II is all about. And we're told that by the very bishops who voted on the documents of Vatican II. So please, don't give us this, this nonsense uh, that that is, a, that is a, an ecumenical council of the church, but, and these are abuses that were imposed by these bishops who made up that council. I don't know how to, how to make it any clearer than, I, than that. I'm sorry, it's a debility in my own part. But I, I think people have to get past that, that smokescreen uh, you know, you have the, Vatic the, the, the Vatic Vatican II and then the spirit of Vatican II. The spirit of Vatican II was active in Vatican II. And it, it, it is the so-called abuses. Look, in 1975, okay, at a church in Columbus, Ohio, St. Philip and James Church, okay, the priests there had people show up with handfuls of garbage, literally, household garbage, to offer to God. He wanted to have what he called a garbage mass to dramatize the theme. You know, the mass is not the unbloody sacrifice of Calvary anymore. You have to have some kind of theme now that you're going to dream of that. So you want to dramatize the theme, Christ the garbage collector. Okay? This is really deep, the theology of it all. And so we had the people line up and at the, at the offertory procession, they came up and dropped into a big garbage pale, right in front of their table. There's no altar there. It's a table. Their, their, their offering of, uh, uh, you know, coffee grounds, banana peels, you name it, right? That's their offering, Christ the garbage collector, okay? Now, of course, this is all relevant in the eyes of Vatican II, because, and in Francis too, because this meets people where they are in, in daily life, right? This is faith at its finest. This was reported the bishop there. This was actually made famous in the newspapers of the area. Nothing was done. I mean, I called uh, several years later to ask and found out that the same priest, so-called, was pastor there several years later. Nothing was done about this. Why? This wasn't an abuse. This is what Vatican II was all about. People had to face the reality of it. 
That's why that bishop, fresh on the heels of Vatican II, didn't replace that priest. That priest understood Vatican II. And so did that bishop. This isn't an abuse. None of this stuff is abuse. It's exactly what Vatican II and the modernists were after. It's not those priests who were censured. It wasn't uh, Father Quinlan over there, you know, in, in Washington, who dresses up like Mary Poppins and rides a cable down from his choir loft with a, an umbrella, okay? Uh, it, it wasn't him. He was not the one who was, who was censured, no. It's the traditional priests who are still trying to hold on to the old mass and, and resisting the changes. They're the ones who were sacked and put in nursing homes to die in obscurity of a broken heart. Many of them did. Now, now don't tell me that was a, an abuse of Vatican II. That's what Vatican II was all about. People have to face reality here. This is what the modernists were after. This is exactly what the modernists wanted to do to the church. You make a great point, Father. I, I too, have, have heard that argument so many times of how, well, Vatican II was just misunderstood. There was a mi misapplication of, of its principles. But even if you try and make that case, uh, it seems so contradictory because if its principles, if it, it's whatever, its documents and everything were so unclear that, that they can be so uniformly misinterpreted and, and misapplied, doesn't that, by its very nature, show right. the deficiency of, of, of those teachings? And uh, no, no one seems to, to be able to accept that. You know, that is that's so anti-Catholic. That is not the way the Catholic Church works at all. You know, their, their whole, they're, they're the bride of, of Christ who is the way, the truth, yeah. and the life. Christ is truth, and this yeah. is his bride. There's, there, there's not supposed to be any of this confusion. And, and it's, by their own admission, it's so widespread, it's so uniform, universal, that by its very nature shows that these teachings were entirely deficient. Tom, as their hero, Saint John Paul II says, the great conservative, right? <laughs> Vatican II was the French Revolution in the church. It's true. And I couldn't have said it better. He said that out loud, <laughs> on the record. Vatican II was the French Revolution in the church. And if you know anything about the French Revolution, you know it was anti-God, very anti-Catholic, right? Entirely to, to secularize. I mean, when they have... The, the the prostitute carried into uh, Notre Dame Cathedral as the goddess of reason to be worshipped there. That's the French Revolution in the church, he says. So, um, and one day, you know, John Paul II was asked how he became so conservative when back in Vatican II, he was one of the leading liberal lights there, perhaps second only to Karl Rotter. The Jesuit, right? The Jesuit radical. Um, he said, well, I don't know, I haven't really changed my position. It's just that everything became so much more liberal around me that now I look conservative by comparison. This is what he said. And now they want to hold him up as a great conservative. You know? So um, this, is, this is what modernism does. And uh, the point you make is very, very well made, and I hope it's very well taken by readers. They've got to open their eyes and see what's happening. You know, the problem, the problem I find is that the conservative Catholics, those who still have the faith out there, there are many of them, and we see them, they appear at Mass, week after week after week, kind of finding their way back to the traditional faith. Um, there are a lot of people out there who still have the faith, but they're desperately trying to reconcile in their mind two things, like the horns of a dilemma, how do we reconcile a hierarchy with authority, you know, Christ, with what they're doing? How do we reconcile that? They, they can't do it. And uh, something is standing in their way, and it has to do with a misunderstanding of the church. There's something in them that is blocking their resolution of that because they don't understand the church. So they're kept, in a sense, paralyzed where they are in the Novus Ordo. Some of them are even trying to practice the traditional faith within the Novus Ordo. But in doing so, you can't do that uh, without contradictions. And you can't practice the traditional faith within the Novus Ordo without some sacrilege. Inevitably, there's going to be a sacrilege involved somewhere. And, uh, you know, here we have the liberals, the leftists, the modernists, all chortling about this is the church. The Catholic Church is doing this. The Catholic Church is the scoundrel. This is the evil beast that is doing these terrible things. And the church is so corrupt 
it needs to be reformed. And now we now that we're back at that, now we got to reform again, right? <clears throat> you know what they mean by that, right? Reform. Except homosexuality as a as a normal way of life is what they're. And that's reform, you know. Um, but the the sad, saddest part is you've got these conservative Novus Ordo Catholics out there, the ones who are still tenaciously holding on to the doctrines of the faith through this withering blast of modernism, this terrific storm of modernism. They're still holding on to the catechism. And, and, and even many want to have the traditional mass. They're holding on for dear life to these things within the Novus Ordo, but they're agreeing with the liberals and modernists saying, this is the Catholic Church that has done these terrible things. You're right. And they're giving, they're giving everything away to the modernists. So they're agreeing, and the one thing the modernists really want to hear from them, you're right, this is the Catholic Church that has done these terrible things. And, you know, they've long, at that point, if they agree that this is the Church that's, that's doing this, and not her enemies, inflicting it upon her, but saying that she's not the innocent one who's suffering this at the hands of the modernists, but she is the guilty one who's doing this to mankind and all of these youngsters. They've given everything away. They've just basically surrendered the faith and the church and even our Lord into the hands of his enemies. And as I mentioned in the last Sunday's sermon, we know the church will have to undergo what our Lord underwent. The church in her history will replay, as it were, the life of Christ when he himself was betrayed into the hands of his enemies and accused of all kinds of terrible crimes that he's perfectly innocent. But the victim, so it is with, with the church. You know, everyone has to, Those who want to come through this with their faith and their hope and their charity intact are going to eventually have to face the fact, and it's going to be an act of faith for them, that the church is the victim of these things, not the perpetrator of these crimes. The modernists are the ones who are the perpetrators of these crimes. The church is the principal victim of these crimes. That's right. Well, Father, I still have a stack of emails left. A lot of these are good souls who are attempting to find their way. Please go ahead, Tom. I mean, uh, I, I mean you can close with that. I don't want to stop you from reading what they had to say. I'm sure. grateful to them for writing reading. Okay. Let's finish that up, and then uh, let's close this program. We can do that. This uh, viewer says, I'll withhold the specifics, but they say they're trying to find traditional Catholic churches in their area. We are distraught, and we don't know where to turn to practice our faith. Do you suggest perhaps joining a Byzantine Catholic church? Have the modernists infiltrated them too? Unfortunately, they have, okay. yes. But there are traditional Byzantine, too. Yeah. And I'd have to know where they, where sure. they are. Sure, yeah, those, we can, uh, I actually plan... If people them. really, uh, like that writer, want to be directed to a near traditional Catholic chapel with a real traditional Catholic priest, they have to let us know where they are. And we'd be glad to do whatever we can to help. Right. A, a lot of them did, Father, give, give some some specifics. So with your help, I, I would like to, uh, at some point, uh, sit down and, and send an individual response to these to these, oh. uh, to these great emails. So okay. I do plan to do that. Uh, this next one here says, a thank you for your broadcast concerning the destruction of the church by the modernists. I am 72 and grew up in the traditional church. I like the Mass being said in English, but have problems with most of the other changes. I have been hearing for a year now that we need to leave the Novus Ordo Church. It will get more pagan. We need to go to the, tra to the traditional church. My question is, how do I find one? I live in a rural area. I've gone to Mass at several churches, and I see none of them as traditional. What are we to do? Thank you for your time and prayers. We're praying for people like you and our good priest for their diligent efforts to spread the truth. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we plan to send them a response. This next one says, I am really strengthened in my faith during your discussion. Wholeheartedly, I want to keep my faith clean. I converted to the church from Protestantism or New Age religion or whatever. <laughs> Living in Norway, I can't see how it is possible for me to live my Catholic life and participate in the Eucharist. Where am I to go? It is nice to say that the Novus Ordo is by the devil, but it seems I have no choice here. I'm confident in Christ and never leaving him, but I am really alone with my faith. I try to go to other countries for the Latin Mass, but yeah. this cannot be done on a weekly basis. But thank you so much for your programs on YouTube. I said I'm in Norway, not Norwood. Norway. <laughs> yes, Norway. Okay, we're big, in Norway. Big difference. <laughs> that is a substantial difference here. Well, well, we'll have to be praying for this uh, 
good soul too. Driving to other countries uh, to find a traditional mass. Why, who of us can can actually boast that? Well, he's not boasting it. He's crying out for help. Uh, another one here, Father, says, uh, Thank you for the meaningful, edifying, and thought-provoking podcast. Our Lord must be very pleased with you. I have two questions. If one begins to attend the Masses offered by the priest of the Society of St. Pius V, and that person has received sacraments from the Novus Ordo Church, would that person be required to receive instruction in the faith before receiving Holy Communion, as if coming from the Protestant faith? Mm-hmm. Well, I'd say that depends if they if they know the faith well. Some do. Some know the faith, but they've just been very confused. But others who, let's say, learned the faith within the Novus Ordo and know nothing of that, we'd have to make sure that they have, they really do understand the faith. So, uh, you know, I, I have a catechism series uh, based on the brief catechism for adults by Father Coggan. And it's so easy. I mean, people can read through that and well, good readers can read through it in a day. We just want them to note any questions and answer those questions and uh, make sure that they really have the integrity of the faith before they begin receiving the sacraments. Um, generally, though, if, if they're practicing Novus Ordo Catholics, um, we find they have some knowledge of the faith, and they've kept the, that of the knowledge of the faith in spite of the Novus Ordo, not because of it. So we find that there's a pretty good foundation to work with. So we don't make them... No, if we have somebody who is, let's say, uh, come to, coming to us from Lutheranism or Presbyterianism or something like that, uh, we give them, you know, a six months to a year course in the faith before we, we talk about baptizing. But somebody coming from the Novus Ordo has a better foundation. They already think of themselves as Catholic, want to be Catholic, and uh, already have a foundation in the faith. Uh, unless they've unless they've been raised by absolute radicals. You know. <laughs> but they know enough of the faith to find us to come back to the traditional faith. So that's a good good start. Okay. Um, then, uh, so, you know, I, I, you know, each case is individual, right. but, but the, the bottom line is, no, we don't require, a, you know, a, a complete course of instruction before they're allowed to practice the faith. Okay. Then next question, Father. My husband and I were married in 1980 in the Novus Ordo Church. My husband, a Protestant, was not required to present proof of baptism. The priest did ask my husband if he was baptized, and assuming he was, said yes. We have recently learned that there are no records of my husband's baptism on file at his old church. My husband converted to the Novus Ordo over 20 years ago and received a conditional baptism then. My question is, is our marriage valid? Uh, well, we'll have to talk about that. But okay, <laughs> there are a few questions that I have to ask. Right. Obviously, I can't just say yes or no. Mm-hmm. There are a number of questions that have to be answered, and uh, we'd need some some evidence. Mm-hmm. You know, but there there are questions that involve matters of fact that can be easily attested to. So we should follow up with that. Definitely. Uh, this next one, Father. This is a uh, response um, and a response that you gave to a question some time ago in, in one of our older programs. We just uh, had this email where he said, Father Jenkins' response was probably the best response I have ever received to any concern I have had and gave me very much to think about. It is unfortunate, however, that the faithful must sift between various good points made by various traditional Catholic priests and engaged in detailed study on matters that would not require investigation in ordinary times. Although it is a great blessing that the faithful have access to traditional priests and the sacraments, it is also unfortunate that there may indeed be no avenue for matters requiring ordinary jurisdiction. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a good observation, but it's the times we live in. Right. People really do have to be able to, well, I'll use a word that this one of Francis's favorite, practice discernment. <clears throat> but I mean it in a Catholic way. You know, do their homework, study, know better, know their faith better. I mean, this could not have happened if people knew their faith. And so now Catholics are required to know the faith in a way that previous generations did not. And, uh, but as I say, their lack of knowledge of their faith was the reason, the reason why they, the modernists could do this to them. Remember, uh, you know, John, I talked about the encyclical Pascendi by St. Pius X in 1907. Right. Well, before that, uh, St. Pius the St. Pius X issued an encyclical, Acerbo Nimis, excessively, bitterly. I mean, that's how the encyclical begins. 
And what Pope Pius X is decrying there is the ignorance of the Catholic people about their own faith. Do you know what he said in that encyclical? And here I have to say mea culpa because I can't, I don't do it because I can't do it. He says that the Catholic people in the parishes should not only have the sermon at the Sunday Mass, they should have an hour of instruction in the faith every single Sunday. Huh? That the parish priest should give them an, hours of, an hour of instruction in their faith to his own parishioners every single Sunday. Now, people talk about my sermons being long, you know, <laughs> and I guess they're longer than relatively long. But anyway, uh, that's what he said they had they needed. He said there were Catholics who did not know even the basics of the faith necessary to save their souls. And this was back in 1905, I think. Wow. Right. So um, that's the problem. I mean, this this uh, writer talks about the need to know more and study more. And, and, and he's right. Absolutely right. But that isn't because uh, our Catholic people are expected to, to know, uh, uh, let's say, uh, a, a, an ex excess, have an excess of knowledge of the faith. It's that the Catholics in the past did not even have a basic knowledge of the faith that they needed to have. The modernists used that as a, uh, saw that as an opportunity to mislead the Catholic people. And that's what, exactly what they did. Sure. All right, Father, I believe just two more here. This uh, next one says, Father Jenkins, I think that we are living again in the early days of the church and the apostolic age where it was necessary for Christianity to be preached to the whole world. Catholicism was forgotten and eclipsed. The Catholic faith is no longer professed. If at first Arianism was a great adversary, adversary we now have modernism, which is the synthesis of all heresies. Our temples were taken and our priests corrupted. People are confused, and for this, they offer them an easy religion without dogmas, without sin, without condemnation. I think it's time we started to do the apostolate, preaching in time, and setback, and facing an adversary much worse than the early days. It is painful to see people deluded, living in the world and inside the churches, behaving as if everything is well, and that life walks in peace and serene, when we know that they walk joyful and festive in search of the abyss. It is time to start again and to bring the gospel to the new pagans, far worse than the first ones, because while they did not know Jesus and his doctrine, they knew the truth and denied it again, doing as the dog that returns to the vomit and the babe nut that returns to the mud. It is time, Father Jenkins, to start over. Well, I'll tell you, some of our writers uh, are very good prose artists. They're really <laughs> very good with their prose, and I, I must say it's true. You know, St. John Bosco wrote in his, in his memoirs, about uh, the church that he had undertaken to build in, in Rome at the behest of Pope Leo XIII. And uh, remember, Pope Leo XIII uh, was elected, I think, in, in, he uh, was elected in 1878. At that time, Don Bosco was already an old man. Don Bosco was to die just five years later, I believe. And um, and he accepted a commission, accepted a commission from Pope Leo XIII to raise the funds to build the Basilica of the Sacred Heart in Rome, a church that is very dear to my own poor heart, actually. Um, and someone asked St. John Bosco why he, in his advanced age and debilitated condition, accepted an arduous task of going around, traveling around, trying to raise the funds to build that basilica. And he said, the reason why I accepted this commission from Pope Leo XIII was because at some future time, priests will go out of that church and preach the gospel in Rome. As the, and he said this as though this was going to be something extraordinary. The priests will go out of that church and preach the gospel in Rome. He indicated it would be like renewing or replanting the seed of the gospel in Rome, which had lost the faith. That's an extraordinary prophecy. It was in that same church, by the way, that St. John Bosco was offering Mass. Again, you're talking about the, the final days of his life here. And he had a vision of the history. The, the, he had a vision of the future of the church. And he broke down. He just broke down weeping at the altar. He couldn't carry on with the Mass. But if you go to that altar today, there's a magnificent gigantic picture of Mary help of Christians there. 
And uh, as you stand at that altar, just to your left is a plaque on the wall in Italian, which commemorates that vision of St. John Bosco. It made him weep. Just, just envisioning the future of the church and the sorrows, you know, the, the, the tragedies, which is exactly what we're trying to face now. What we're trying to get people to face, you know, uh, which the two-faced modernists are not allowing them to, right? But we want people to face the reality of it. They, all they have to do is go, and, go to that altar and look at that plaque and read about that vision of St. John Bosco. It's not long, but it just acknowledges the truth of what he saw. And um, so what this uh, writer says, we have to basically start over again. And yes, it's going to come to that point, you know, that this neo-paganism, which is uh, such a, a, a deliberate... Uh, rejection of Christ, right? More evil than the paganism of old, that just didn't know him, right? To whom he was a stranger. No, no, these people know who he is, and they hate him for who he really is. They hate him as their savior. So, um, yes, it's going to be, but no wonder uh, St. Louis Grignon de Montfort said that the saints of the latter days will be so, so great that that's what they're going to be dealing with. Not like the St. Cecilia's and St. Agnes's and St. Agatha's of old, who are dealing with a paganism of a different variety. Now in the future, we're going to be dealing with a neo-paganism that is a formal hatred of God and uh, of the true God. And we're going to be dealing, and our children will be dealing with that. So they're going to need some, some powerful graces, and they're going to have to have a, an, an invincible faith, right, and hope and charity. So this is why we cannot continue to allow these modernists to do this to the church. We just can't let them get away with it anymore. We have to stand up and say, this is not the faith. This is not the church. You are not the, you know, you do not represent Christ. You do not represent the Catholic faith, the church. Um, and we have to get back to practicing our faith as, as we know it to be, the faith of the so the centuries, the same. as uh, Monsignor Lefebvre said so clearly, as Archbishop Lefebvre, he talked, he said, our allegiance is not to modernist Rome, it is to Catholic Rome. That's what he said. And that's exactly, exactly right. You have one more to read there, don't you, Tom? Yes, And then fine. we can let everyone in <laughs> peace, right? Hopefully. Yes, fine. Uh, I'll end with this one real real briefly. Uh, I, I won't give the specifics, Father, because there's, there's a lot of details in here, but just kind of to, to summarize, mm. uh, this is a very, very touching email we received from a young viewer in uh, the Dominican Republic, actually. And uh, they just go through and they detail a lot of the, the struggles that they faced in, in their country there and kind of their background mm. of growing up with atheist parents and yet they had a desire to find the truth, um, went through all, all these different uh, false false religions, and uh, initially was repulsed by the idea of the Catholic Church, but uh, continued their search for the truth. And, Re repulsed uh, by the idea of the Catholic Church by what they saw? What, uh, by actually, <laughs> say here, I never considered the Catholic Church. First, I was repelled by John Paul II as a child and a young adult, and I couldn't stand the sight of him. I thought he was representative, representative of everything Catholic, and I was, and to a point, still am terrified of that. <laughs> really? Right. Right. But uh, they, they, they go on further and, and say that, uh, you know, they did stumble upon the truth. They now believe that the Catholic Church is the one true church outside of which there is no salvation. Uh, they say, uh, all I want is to belong to this one true church. All I want is to love and serve God. I've been praying the rosary every day. But they ask, Father, where can I go for catechism? Where can I go for baptism or confession and, and all of this? And they, they uh, kind of give some details here about the options that they have there. You know, fraternity of, of St. Peter is there, but... Uh, they say even a good Bible is hard to find. A lot of them there have pictures of, of John Paul II in them. They they've, have, have the modern translations yeah, and all that. This is a prime example of trying to be traditional Catholic within the Novus Ordo. Right. And so they, they end the Father by saying, in short, I don't know where to go or what to do. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, we have to let her know about the Catechism series. And we have the Catechism series, which we have yet to complete, which we should do before long. And I apologize. I mean, often it's off the cuff and I'm rather weary and just speaking uh, off the cuff. In fact, I, I want to do a, a supplement to the one we did last time because I, 
I'm not entirely satisfied with the material as covered in the brief catechism for adults, and I want to supplement that on the third commandment, which we should do sometime soon. So there are a number of reasons why I would say that catechism treatment uh, is not perfect, certainly. We, we don't allege it to be, but it is Catholic. And it get, does give people a, a, a knowledge of the faith, which is enough for someone to know and to, be, to believe and to be baptized as a Catholic and to practice the Catholic faith. So we should recommend that to this writer. And um, uh, with the pledge that we'll, we'll complete it very soon, <laughs> sure. too. Okay. Yep. Absolutely. Well, Father, thank you for being here tonight. We covered a lot of ground, so I appreciate your time. Well, Tom, that's mutual. Thank you for your time, too. It's no, much appreciated. No. I know you have more than one full-time job. <laughs> yes, Father. And um, so we'll... I, I ask people to help to support the program financially, too, of course, because, uh, well, we, sooner or later we're going to have to... Uh, you know, dust things around here <laughs> and, uh, and maybe upgrade a little bit. But in the meantime, I, I certainly do appreciate your helping us to pay the bills and keep the program on the air. Definitely. Thanks to all of our viewers for watching this episode of What Catholics Believe. Until next time, we ask that you all remember the words of Our Lady at Fatima to consecrate yourselves and your families to the Immaculate Heart of Mary and to pray and do penance. Thank you and God bless you.